Do any of you guys remember that rare, glorious occasion in middle school or high school where you're watching the clock and there's maybe two or three minutes left in the period and your teacher is clearly still talking about a point that will take you to the end of the class and you realize that they forgot to assign homework and it's not on the board and they're clearly not going to remember before the bell? Do you remember those? And then, do you remember the crushing feeling when some kid in the front row decides to raise their hand and be like, oh, excuse me, you forgot to assign us homework, and then you can feel your soul die? That's what doing these history episodes feels like. Except I'm somehow both the teacher and that nerd in the front row. You don't know that? Welcome to episode 7 of You Don't Know That, the podcast. If you happen to be new here, my name is Ashley, and I don't know a lot of things. Sometimes that's stuff as stupid as Ghostbusters, sometimes it's stuff as serious as the home buying process, and sometimes it's stuff as basic as high school U.S. history. And today, we're going with option three. So, where we left off last time was the American Revolution, but when we got to the end, there was no Constitution of the United States. So, what the fuck is up with that, right? What I know for a fact now, I didn't know it before, I'm not gonna lie to any new listeners here and pretend like I knew this already, but 1776, Declaration is signed. 1781, Battle of Yorktown, England, surrenders. Or I guess Britain surrenders, whatever. There's some surrendering happening. And then when does the constitution come in? Because it's kind of a big deal. It's like the law of the land and kind of made our federal government. So what the fuck happened right around 1781, I guess is my main question. My guess is that the states kind of tried to do their own thing and then it didn't work out. And then The Constitution was written, and I actually, this is really sad to say, don't totally know um, who wrote it, I guess. Not I guess. I don't know who wrote it. I would think Thomas Jefferson, since he, you know, crushed the Declaration of Independence, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. What I can say in my favor is I do know generally what is in the Constitution. I know that, you know, First Amendment protections include speech, religion, right to assembly, freedom of the press, etc. But yeah, I just genuinely don't know how it came to be. And I guess that's kind of important, especially now, when constitutional issues are still kind of constantly being brought up. I do know that there's the Constitution and then the first ten amendments, which are the Bill of Rights. I don't know how much longer after the Constitution and the Bill of Rights came out. Or how many amendments we have now, but I think like 29, 22, 25, 20-something. It's definitely not in the 30s, I can tell you that much. I also think that the Federalist Papers are a thing. I mentioned it in the American Revolution episode, and then it never came up in my American Revolution timeline research. and. I exercised amazing self-control for you guys and did not read ahead. 
So the Federalist Papers didn't come up, which makes me think they gotta be here, right? I don't know. I do know that the last episode took me so long to research. And I know I gotta do it again. Like I said, I'm assigning myself homework, like, willingly? Is this what quarantine is doing to me? Where I think that this is okay? I guess. Alright, well, I'll be right back. Ashley's out researching things and she'll be back in one, two, three, four. Okay, so first things first, I was most definitely not, quote, right back because I definitely skipped ahead and recorded some future episodes while putting this one off even longer, but I did it. I'm not going to tell you how long it's been, but I did it, okay, for you. So (laughs) you better stick around to learn about the Constitution or I'm going to be super sad, all right? Here we go. All right, so the bright side is I was actually much closer on my date estimate of around 1781 than I was for the American Revolution episode, where I was technically right, but I did give myself a window of 1492 to 1776. So this time I'm within a decade, which is not too shabby, am I right? So here's what happened. The first government was set up by the Continental Congress, and it was called the Articles of Confederation, and it was not great. It actually only lasted 10 years, which is like just a little baby government, you know? It was also less of a government and more of a pact between the states. Essentially, it consisted of a one-house body of delegates, with each state getting one vote. This body of delegates could then make decisions on certain issues that affected all of the states. There was no president, and there was no judiciary. So in today's terms, it was just like only Congress. So you can imagine how much got done. But also, I had like no idea that George Washington wasn't selected at the end of the American Revolution. Like, I thought we beat Britain Declaration of Independence, and then, ta-da, president. But not quite. So didn't know if anybody else didn't know that, but for me, I was like, what? Anyway, back to the Articles of Confederation. So any decisions that they made required nine out of 13 states to agree, which, much like today's Congress, is a majority that basically never, ever happens. Almost 70% of people all agreeing on one thing in politics? Mm, No. Plus, if you wanted to make any of the amendments, you needed a unanimous vote. Could you imagine that? 100% agreeing on something? Like, could you imagine that now? No! It also didn't happen then either, so not much has changed there. So not only was it incredibly difficult to pass literally anything, but they were also super limited on what they actually could and could not pass to begin with. Essentially, this body of delegates could declare war, conduct foreign affairs, coin money, and make treaties, which is basically everything you need to go to war and nothing else. And if you remember the general mood from the American Revolution episode, you can bet your ass that they were not allowed to collect taxes. That was left to the states. 
I mean, I get it. The whole point of rebelling against Britain was to get out from under a tyrannical rule. So when they made their new government, they wanted to make sure that that, you know, couldn't happen again. So it was pretty weak. But both the national government and the individual states racked up an enormous amount of debt because, you know, they had just gone to war and wars are fucking expensive. The main source of revenue became tariffs, which are attacks on imports and exports, and they were imposed by individual states. Because remember, the federal government couldn't do fuck all because of how it was designed. However, this made international trade, and this is a technical term here, but it made international trade a clusterfuck. Also, Britain wasn't really super gung-ho on trading with us to begin with because, you know, they were mad at us. So the federal government couldn't impose taxes. States could decide to pay or they can just tell the federal government to fuck right off. Trade was a nightmare and things weren't going so well. So by 1786-1787, around there, farmers began rising up to force courts to close so that their property couldn't be foreclosed upon because they were going broke from how hard it was to trade. And also, Shout out to episode three if you don't know what foreclosure is. Go learn how to buy a house. Anyway, this rebellion from the farmers was called Shays' Rebellion, and it was kind of the most clear-cut sign at the time that the Articles of Confederation were not working and something needed to be done. So, hard cut, Annapolis, a meeting was held to try to better regulate international trade. And only six states showed up. But they did agree to meet in a year to, quote, revise the Articles of Confederation in Philadelphia. It was at this meeting in Philly where we, spoiler alert, got the Constitution. It's actually known as the Constitutional Convention. So, you know, per usual, super creative name. Thanks, history. But anyway, at this meeting, 55 men were present and most were wealthy. Some were super wealthy, so there's that, and many went to college. So point is, the dudes that actually showed up to this meeting were like the elite of the elite. You feel me? Anyway, these guys got to brainstorming. They made some things that might sound familiar, like the three branches of government, which, if you don't know, are executive, legislative, and judicial, along with checks and balances and a separation of powers, and they agreed on a Republican model instead of a direct democracy. Now, I actually did pay attention sometimes in high school civics, so I'm familiar with the three branches of government as well as checks and balances and separation of powers, but I honestly didn't know what a Republican model was. So I'm going to share with you the definition of a Republican model real quick, just because this is a safe space not to know things. I had to research it anyway, and maybe there's somebody out there that doesn't know either, okay? So a Republican model of government essentially has three main components. A, the power of the government is held by the people. B, the people give power to leaders that they elect to represent them and serve their interests. And C, the representatives are responsible for helping all of the people in the country, not just a few. So totally different than the Republican Party versus like a Republican model. Okay, I'd always I always hate when people use the same term for two different things, you know, <laughs> like this is so dumb. I for a hot second in my life was going to take the GRE before I realized that my grad program didn't need it and promptly abandoned that idea. But my friend let me like a GRE study book. Shout out to you, Maddie. 
And I went to the vocabulary section because I wasn't too worried about math. And there was a whole section on words that are both nouns that mean one thing and verbs that mean another. And that whole section pissed me off, man. Like the word waffle is the breakfast food, not the verb. It's just, it just makes me mad. So when I read this, I immediately thought of the one term of Republican that we hear now and had no idea it had another meaning. And English is a stupid language. Anyway, moving on. We are at the Constitutional Convention. They're getting to brainstorming. They come up with the Republican model, three branches of government. And then things got a little complicated. There were a lot of other issues when setting up a government that were highly contentious between the different states. For example, Alexander Hamilton, shout out Disney Plus, am I right? Was an advocate for life terms for the president and the Senate, and others were very much not. Again, they had just come off of a tyrannical rule with kings, and people told him basically to go shove it. So there was some debate there, but spoiler alert, Hamilton lost that one. Things also got complicated between the larger states and the smaller states, and there became two plans, essentially, that they were debating between. There was the Virginia plan that came from James Madison, which involved a two-house legislature where representation was proportional to a state's population, and then there was the New Jersey plan, which was favored by the smaller states because that advocated for equal representation for each state. So smaller states were like, no, we want one representative per state for all states, and then larger states were like, nah, we should, uh, we should split that by population. And neither one was coming in any direction to the other person's side. So there had to be a compromise. A good compromise. No, the great compromise, written by Roger Sherman, which gave us the House of Representatives, where representation is proportional to population, and the Senate, where each state has equal representation. But when it came to population, who actually counted, right? Well, slave-owning states wanted slaves to be counted to boost their population count, and non-slave-owning states did not want slaves to be counted because that would decrease their representation in the House. But to be clear, during all of these arguments, nobody actually made the argument that slaves are, you know, real human beings and shouldn't be considered property. So don't mistake it. There was no altruism here. The result of this debate was the three-fifths compromise, where population was counted by adding the total of basically white people with three-fifths of the population of, quote, all other persons, which they meant slaves. They just didn't put that word in the Constitution. And this was like, also, by the way, in the main body of the Constitution. Also in the main body of the Constitution was the Fugitives from Labor Clause, which required a, quote, person held to service or labor, again, a slave, who flees to another state to be returned to his or her, quote, master in the state from which that person escaped. So it's actually in the original Constitution that a slave couldn't just move away to a state where slavery was outlawed, which it was in the new properties that they were settling out west. It also implied that on some level, states couldn't enforce their own laws, which comes back later, you know, in the Civil War, which maybe that'll be a future episode. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm probably going to do more of these. But I did want to just take a moment to specifically mention those being in the actual body of the Constitution, because I know for me personally, in my history class that I took in high school, that was glossed over and the whole 
kind of discussion of the founding fathers was heavily romanticized. Like, I shouldn't have to be learning these things now that I'm doing the research on my own. When it's taught to children in schools, they should get the whole picture of what actually went down and not this glossed over, romanticized version of things that downplays the oppression of an entire people. And that, yeah, sure, our founding fathers founded the American Constitution that's still used today, but that Constitution has problematic statements in it that were woven into the very fabric of American government from the start, and that our founding fathers were not necessarily 100% good people all the time. And I know that's not necessarily a comedic note or whatever, but it's a note worth saying. So, yeah. Anyway, back to the Constitution. The convention has happened, these 55 guys have come up with a document, and it's now written, okay? But it's not ratified, which, by the way, I had to look that up, but it's just signing it and making it official, basically. And as you might remember, in the Articles of Confederation time, you needed nine out of 13 states to agree in order to ratify the Constitution, which, by the way, Delaware was the first. And then a lot of states were a little bit slower to sign on. The Constitution needed a little bit of PR because public opinion on the Constitution was fairly divided. So Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay wrote a lot of essays about it. 85 of them, in fact, which are collectively known as, and are you ready for it? The Federalist Papers! I knew they had to fucking come up here. Ha! Anyway. Turns out, Federalist is a term for a Constitution supporter, so that really should have given me a hint as to where these came in, but I digress. I'm still counting this as a win. But the Federalist Papers advocated for a strong national government and laid out an argument that it was not, in fact, a threat to people's liberty. The people who were against the Constitution were called, understandably, you know, more creative names here in history, anti-Federalists. Anti-Federalists' main issue with the Constitution was that there was a lack of protection of individual liberties. There were no rights explicitly listed in the main body. Federalists then turned around and argued that people's rights were protected by the democratic process as a whole, very, you know, vague, because they felt that by explicitly writing a list, things were open for misinterpretation. Or even worse, they felt that When they wrote a list of what the government explicitly couldn't do, they were then in turn implying that the government can do, you know, everything else. So, you know, they were still not for a tyrannical government on either side. They just felt that there were different ways to go around it. Also, by the time that these anti-federalists started arguing against the Constitution more and more, five states had already ratified the Constitution, so adding things meant that the federalists would have to start over. That said, Federalists still needed four more states in order to ratify, and the debate on people's rights was only getting more and more intense as time went on. States were now insisting that they would not ratify unless they could add their own amendments. So Federalists made a promise that they would come up with something after ratification. And in 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth state to sign, and the Constitution was ratified. And the Federalists like kept their promise. Which is wild, because they didn't, I don't know, like, I don't know if they had a contract or anything, but they were just like, yeah, 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 we'll add the amendments after you ratify it. And they could have so easily just been like, well, it's ratified, go fuck yourself, and peace right off. But they didn't, so 
That's kind of crazy to me. I don't know, right? Anyway, so during a meeting of the first United States Congress, James Madison got up on the floor and stood there and proposed all the amendments that he had previously fought against. And after some edits, the Bill of Rights was born in December 1791. Okay, sorry. So I know I jumped to 1791, but I wanted to kind of keep my train of thought on the Bill of Rights since that's kind of the part of the Constitution people talk about more than like the actual Constitution. And it's the basis of like a lot of legal proceedings. And it blows my mind that it wasn't originally included because like even when I was talking in the first segment of this podcast, I think Constitution and I talk about freedom of speech, freedom of press, etc. And none of that's actually in there, right? Instead, you've got the three-fifths compromise and the fugitive slave clause. Also, the Bill of Rights covers the first 10 amendments, but I did look it up and there have been 27 total, and I'll talk about a few of them a little bit later. Anyway, so that was kind of the train of thought with Constitution into Bill of Rights, but back to 1788, when New Hampshire was the ninth state to sign and the Constitution was ratified, it then became time for the first presidential election. And at the time, of the people who could vote, which, by the way, for reference, was less than 1.3% of the U.S. population, you were allowed to basically vote for two people, and the second place winner became the vice president. There were no political parties yet, just Federalist and Anti-Federalist. So there were no, like, conventions. There was no DNC. There was no RNC. And George Washington was basically a shoe-in. So the other 11 that threw their hat in the ring were essentially running for vice president. Washington won by a landslide. I mean, he, like, literally unanimously won and is the only person who's ever done that and definitely will be the only person to ever do that ever again. And then John Adams became the vice president, which, fun fact, apparently Hamilton really didn't like him and (laughs) campaigned actively for people to vote for literally any of the other 11, which is hilarious. So, boom. We've got the Constitution, we've got a president, we've got a vice president, and we've got a Bill of Rights coming on its way in about three years. So, ta-da! Our government as we know it today was born. The remaining 17 amendments would be published over time, the last of which was actually in 1992, which is way more recent than I thought it was. Over time, the amendments changed a lot of things to include abolishing slavery and giving voting rights to people who previously didn't have any. But I feel like civil rights and voting rights and the women's suffragette movement are topics that deserve to be covered more in depth than just a quick blurb at the end of this episode. But it is important to note that those changes happened long after the Constitution was set up. But that's the gist of how we started. I'm sure I skipped over stuff that I probably could have gone into more detail about, but again, I'm trying to keep it under half an hour, and when you're starting from scratch, the best spot to start is really the basics. But what really struck me, I guess, during my research was that when it came to writing the Constitution, it was messy, and it required a lot of compromise from both sides. And while some of the compromises are extremely problematic, you know, looking at you, three-fifths compromise, kicked off a long series of inequities and injustices that, again, I'll likely get into more as these history episodes continue. Yeah, that's right. It's no longer a hypothetical. I've talked about it so much in this episode. I've decided history is now a permanent thing on this show. I hate it. You're welcome. 
But the compromises were, at their core, the main factor behind successfully creating America's government. And yet, I feel like compromise has become somewhat of a dirty word in today's America. No matter the issue, when you watch news coverage of things that are happening in the House or in the Senate, something that has bipartisan support is now unusual instead of the norm. And it makes you wonder, can real change happen without a little compromise? And how do we bring that back into societal norms in today's American government? I don't have an answer for you there. And on that delightful note, that just about wraps up the Constitution episode. To be fair, I have no idea where to go next. I got super lucky when I finished the American Revolution one that I happened to notice there was no Constitution yet. So, I don't know where to go. War of 1812? World War I or two, Civil War? Something international? I don't know. My point is, help me, please. <laughs> Shoot me an email um, at you don't know that the podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram and let me know what you think would be a nice segue from here. Like, if you're smart at history, give me a solid and help me out. <laughs> but hey, at least I finally know what the Federalist Papers are, right? Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to more, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. If you would like to follow us on social media for updates and photos, you can follow us at You Don't Know Pod, that's You Don't Know P-O-D, on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a recommendation for something for me to research for you, or a story about you not knowing something until way later in life than you should have, there's no judgment here. And you can email me at you don't know that the podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.